where you going? No, man, you got the right classroom. Come on in, take a seat beside me, my friend. Hey, look, here come T.A. Charlie. Let's see what he got to say. Hey, it's Worship Wednesday, y'all. You're watching The Road to Concord with Professor Joe Bakanovic. Homeroom is on Rumble, and I can't talk today. You just go to Rumble and you search the channels for The Road to Concord. It's one word. When you find it, you go ahead and you click follow. Might mean you got to set up an account, but it's fast, it's easy, and it's free. I did it. You can do it. For those technologically challenged members of the class, you can also catch us on Facebook, Twitch, Twitter, and YouTube today. Uh, then you can catch the podcast after the show. It's uploaded to Podbean, iHeartRadio, and Spotify. Just look for The Road to Concord. You can go to the blog page. That's roadtoconcord.com. That's where you'll find all your show notes, study notes, and handouts for the class. Finally, you can email a professor at joe at the road to He's a little slower right now, but he'll eventually get around to emailing you back. If you find our classes helpful, please click the thumbs up, like, subscribe, and share it with those you think could benefit from it. Just warn them that Joe is an acquired taste. He's a little weird, too. A little? Hey, we all know T.A. Charlie isn't all there. Now, just stay seated and give it a chance. You soon realize we not might be the smartest, but we each independently form opinions based on reason and logic. We're free thinkers. Let's see what the road to Concord with Professor Joe Bakanovic has on the lesson plan for today. Good morning. Welcome to the Road to Concord. It's Worship Wednesday. Going to have a little bit of a different day for you today. Ain't got nothing in scripture particularly special that I want to dive into. I actually want to use today to set the table for what I'm going to be hopefully going to be doing probably for the rest of the year. And um, I don't know how to, there's no segue for this. We're just going to dive into this a little bit. Excuse me. It is allergy season again here for me. The, the, the Mother nature, definitely out of whack. Kimosabi. If you get the reference, you get the reference. The one thing I will warn you about, I have no problem bringing my philosophy training to my scripture studies. For me, seems to have been um, very productive for me. So I use it to my benefit with my studying scripture. So that's pretty much what we're going to be doing here today. A little bit of philosophy dealing with religion. I have a question for you. Why do so many people reject the existence of God? <clears throat> and I know, excuse me, it's one of those questions that we're not necessarily going to have an answer to. But I was taught that uh, answers are easy. It's, um, it's finding the right question that is the hard part. Because if you find the right question, then the answer is easy. And that's, it's, it's kind of like that way in a lot of things in life. You know, it's, it's the right question in all the courtroom drama movies. When the lawyer finally finds the right question, he solves the question, you know, the case, or you ask the right question in the detective who done it movie. So why do so many people reject the existence of God? And for that matter, what do we mean by God? Now I'm serious about this. I want you to think about this today. Are you talking about just a creator? Is that God to you? Are you talking about God as an overseer? You know, he's somebody that watches over everything in the universe. And um, is God just a judge of how good or bad a person you were at the end of your life? What exactly 
do we mean by God? This is one of these things that people, we use the language and we all say the same words. I'm not so sure that we even understand what we're saying. So is God, is is it just the notion of a creator? Is that what God is? Are you a deist? You know, there's a, (laughs) isn't he all of that? Yes, ma'am, I would think so, but I'm talking from square one, man. We are, I'm, yeah, road dog, God almighty, God the almighty. What does that mean? I'm serious. This is a serious conversation today. And you'll you'll understand why. We'll get to it here later in the in the day. I'll I'll explain to you before the show's over why um why I'm here, why I'm doing this. If it's just a creator, if God's just a creator, then you could easily be a deist. He made the universe, wound it up, set it in motion, and took off. So he's an absent God. Is the is is God is is it an entity that sees everything that goes on in the world? Or he or she? Does God govern in the affairs of man? Is that your concept of God? Is it a case of all of the above? I don't know. Does does your idea of God include that he makes universal laws, laws that apply to his entire creation? And Or is your idea of God that he's going to be the judge of, of mankind in some way, shape, or form in relation to those laws? Now, for most of us in the West... We're, we come from a Judeo-Christian ethic. So we're like, yeah, well, God's all of those things. Not for everybody in the world. There are gods in this world that aren't all of that. They, they're part of it here and there, but it's a smorgasbord, an a la carte as to what your God is like. And that's part of what I'm talking about. Because you can be raised Christian and never realize that your idea of God is very different from what the biblical idea of God is. You know, and and for that matter, the English word God, (laughs) okay, first rabbit to chase today. Tell Charlie to throw his microphone on there, folks. (laughs) Our English word God is not in the Bible. Not really. What would the equivalent be in Hebrew, Charlie? Well, in Hebrew, generally, I have to use generally because it's not always the case, but generally, the word, the English word we use, God, is usually Elohim. Mm-hmm. However, uh, sometimes it's because uh, Elohim is a plural, so sometimes it's Eloah, which is a singular, or El, which is mm-hmm. kind of a, a contraction. A contraction, yes. Uh, but sometimes, when you see in, especially if you're reading like a King James version or one that uses the same. Uh, convention if you see god in all capitals that is actually the name of yahweh yes so it gets a little complicated in the bible yes but but now if i'm reading in greek all you have is theos yes in, in greek yeah theos is so this is why i'm this isn't a trivial conversation folks this is important because no. oh, like no. sometimes if you're reading in your bible the book we have the the when we say God, it should say deity. Elohim is deity is an actually a better translation for for El or Elohim in most cases. Yeah, in many cases. Yeah, because deity denotes that you live in the heavenly realm. Right, but but you have to be careful too because yes. in the in the Hebrew, Elohim has also been used like 
Moses is called an Elohim yep. in the Bible. Some of the judges are referred to as Elohim. So the, the, the basic meaning of Elohim in Hebrew is considered to be mighty one. Yes. And Elohim is also used for pagan gods. Yes. So you, you got to understand the context of what you're talking about. But, you know, Yahweh is, you know, called an Elohim. In, in fact, in the first couple chapters of Genesis, mm -hmm. you don't even learn Yahweh's name. He just uses the title Elohim. So God in, in the English. Thanks, Troy. I'm going to be popping you in and out here through today. So when I ask you what you mean by God, I'm not being flippant. I'm asking you to be a philosopher a little bit here today. I want you to philosophize with me here today. And I want you to be serious about this because this is the, we are going back to the foundations. And I mean, I'm going to swipe everything off the board and I'm going to rebuild the faith over the next few weeks, months. We're going to start from square one. Okay. So why is it that, um, why is it some people reject God and do we even understand what we mean by God? And is it that some of the people reject him because the idea of God is offensive to them? And if so, why is it because the idea of God or a creator would necessarily include putting limits on them, you know, on what they can and cannot do on our free will? Is it the fact that the existence of a God means we are not God? Is it competition? Are we envious? Are we jealous? Why do we reject it? What, seriously, man, why is it? Some people think, well, it's all just superstition. Is it? Have they ever tested it? We're going to get to that. Testing. Now, assume, for the sake of today's class, let's assume you do believe that there is a God. Okay. What is God's nature? Yeah, he, is he a, a her? Is he a, a thing, a neuter? You know, you don't really assign sex to him. Is he spirit? Is he material? Is is he in or outside of the universe? What is his nature? Is he a creator of all things? Or is he just a creator of order? Okay, now this is where we're starting to get down to where you can't say this about. There are gods in this world, especially if you're Hindu or pagan. These gods did not create everything. They only created order. In this theology for some of these people, they worship a God that did not create the universe. Um, Charlie needs to pop his microphone back on again. If you're Mormon, you do not believe in a God that created the universe. You can't because you believe that God is a transcendent man and man did not create this universe. Yeah, that, that's where Mormon doctrine gets really, really flaky. And I, I always had troubles comprehending this because Mormons are actually polythe po polytheist. Yes. Now, if you ask one of them, they'll deny it. I understand. However, they are because mm -hmm. their belief is, is that Yahweh has a, a father and a grandfather and a great grandfather and a great, 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 and on and on and on and on and on to infinity. Right. And so, you know, yeah, this, See, uh, this the Mormon God created this universe, but there's other gods that created other universes. Right. The Mormon God it, is it more really complicated, more similar to paganism than it is to yes to the Bible. Yes, it is very pagan when you when you look. So at if it you trace concept, 
you're going to quickly find out that the God of the Mormon faith is not the God of the Bible. Yes. According to the Bible. Now, I'm not trying to be insulted Correct. to anybody who's in the Mormon faith. That, that, that's not right. what it is. This is a case of you worship a God who is contained within this universe. Yes. And the Bible describes a God, a, a being that is outside and transcendent of this universe. Yes. And I believe the scripture is in Isaiah, if I'm not mistaken, that mm -hmm. says, I am Yahweh. I am the only Elohim. Yes. There is no other. He's very specific when he says that. Yes. So if you, if you believe that, that puts the, you know, spear right through the heart of Mormonism in their doctrine. If they're going to, yeah, if, but then if, again, if then what they'll say believe. is what the Bible's only the Bible if you interpret it their way. Right, right. So we're going to get to that, all of that. Yeah. Thanks, Charlie. So you like, is your God eternal? Well, like we just said, you, not really, not in Mormonism. And in a lot of pagan faiths, gods can be, can be killed. It's mostly by other gods, but. You know, is, is your concept of God transcendent by that meaning outside of the universe, not contained within the universe? Well, if you're Wicca or Gaia or something like that, you believe the universe is God. That's, that's what the whole concept of the force in Star Wars is. The universe is a living thing. It's, it, that, it's, it's God, whatever the life force in the universe is, that's God. Karma would be a form of a God. That's not a transcendent God, though. Is your God uh, omniscient? Does he know everything? Is he omnipotent, all powerful? You know, a lot of a lot of um, folks will say, "Well, you know, God of the Bible can't be all powerful because he can't make a, a planet that he can't move." Well, that's a logical fallacy. We're not going to get down in the weeds of all that right now. But all powerful being that the, the the is your God can do anything he wants to. How much are we like our image of God? Is is he anthropomorphic? Have we made God into a man type image, like human being? Or are we different from him? And if so, how? All of these things, you, you, before you just accept a religion, if you were born into Christianity, I don't want you to keep it just because mom and dad did it. The Bible doesn't want you to do that either. Hey, well, I was baptized when I was a baby. Well, you might want to be baptized when you get older, when you are of the age of accountability. The scriptures expect you to go through the phases we're talking about today. They do. It says you come to faith by hearing in faith in the Hebrew mindset and the Hebrew thinking faith is not a feeling. Faith is an act. It's a verb. It's something you choose to do. And this is important. That's part of understanding our words. So why did, once you understand your idea of what God is, you, you're going to have some of these questions. Why did he make this universe? Or, and I'm using he just as a, a linguistic um, a linguistic convention. It's just easier in our language. Okay. I'm not, I don't, this is as close to English gets to being a romantic language, you know, masculine, feminine, whatever. Um, so why did he create the universe and why did he create us? Now we are getting into existential questions. Well, this is important because if you're a deist, those questions don't matter. You know, if you just got, well, he's a creator and he left. You know, he set up the laws and took off. Why does not matter? Your nature, your, your conception of the nature of God, that's in, intricately related to these questions. Okay, so I've got some comments on the board. I want to okay. bring in here a little bit. I think this will kind of... Yeah, you're running the show here over there. This will kind of uh, maybe 
expand what we're talking about here because okay. we're talking right now about the attributes of God, right. of Yahweh. Mm-hmm. Okay, now well, we've had a couple not necessarily comments. Yahweh. Well, well, Yahweh to you and I, right, right, yeah, but who to whatever God you're, you're right. referring to? Right, I'm not there yet. Okay. I'm going that way. But, yeah. Okay, go ahead. But but our scriptures of the Bible that, that we say says that we are created in the image of God. In fact, there's other there's other religions that also believe that that are yes. pagan. Yep. But so the question is. What does that mean? Because if we're talking about the attributes of God and then we're applying them to us, ooh, we have some questions to answer, don't we? Yeah. And this is where you, for biblical believers, what does it mean to be created in the image? Different for a biblical believer than it is for somebody, say, like the Babylonian faith, where you're made in the image of Anuka or Anuka or whatever the heck his name is. Well, in that case, you were made to look just like him look like him. That's not what the Bible's talking about. The Bible, Michael Heiser, Dr. Michael Heiser has a really good piece on this. He he likes the word imager, but in this case, it's connected to Shem, the Hebrew idea of Shem, the character and nature of Yahweh. You were created to be his reflection in this world, to teach his nature to this world and to do his work in this world. You're his right and left hand. Yes, and we're and we're commanded in in the Bible to have dominion and subdue the exactly. earth. Exactly. So we are we are His agents. Yes, you're an agent. You're earth. a servant. We are, we are to carry out His will on this. So earth essentially, you are the earthly parallel of an angel. Yes. Yes. Very good. And it, it, notice, He doesn't say, "Let's create man in my image." In the Hebrew, he says, let's create man in our image. image. And everybody thinks, well, that's the Trinity. Well, if you have a divine council worldview, he could very well be talking about the spiritual world. Let's create man as a mirror reflection of the creation I made here in the spirit world. So all of this stuff matters because it's all connected to your concept of what God is and isn't. And that means that we're created as spiritual beings as well. Yes. Yes. And your questions like, why did he create the universe? Why did he create us? Those are all going to be connected to your idea of what God is. Like if you're a Babylonian, you were made to feed the gods and to do their work, which is is a perversion of the biblical thinking. But that's what sacrifices are. You're feeding God in the pagan way of thinking. And we will get to this in the future. But all of this is not, these are not trivial questions. Not if you're a person of faith. And notice, I know that, um, Charlie's been focusing on Yahweh, the God of the Bible. I haven't, not yet, on purpose. I got my philosopher's hat on today, folks. I acknowledge that there are other people who believe in different gods. Now, sometimes they use the same name for these different gods. And this is why it's important. Uh, um, the Bible of Mormons, they think it's the Bible, you know, they think it's the Bible of, of, the, of the God of the Bible, isn't. Allah says that, you know, Islam says Allah is the God of the Bible. No, he's not. And how do I know these things? Because the concept of God is different in all three faiths. So you're not going to be able to sort this stuff out unless you stop and do a little bit of work on your foundation. What do I mean by God? We have to do this too because we get into these, um, uh, what do we call uh, 
Well, different different faiths as you as you bring them together, they they kind of talk about yeah, we're the same thing, but then you get into these fights where it's like my Jesus is better than your Jesus and and all this stuff. So we've we've got to get the underpinnings of our foundation down so that we know what we believe so that when someone comes to present to us another Jesus we know how to evaluate we know how to evaluate and figure out this if is it's right or not this is what the scripture means about this is crucial yes this is why the scripture says don't build your house on sifting sand shifting sands that's what it means now it's using a biblical image of the desert but it means to make sure you have found firm theological understandings and folks all like, like Charlie was saying in a discussion earlier today, all theology is the religious philosopher. Theologian is a religious philosopher. So technically by form and function, I'm acting as a theologian today. Oh, why did our God create the universe or did he? Does your idea of God, it, does he just, why did he create us? What if any are his laws? Does he does your idea concept of God does it have universal laws? Because pagans don't. Pagans think that the gods can change the laws of this universe at a whim. Says how does how does God expect us to behave in response to all of this? And what does he want from us? What what are these purposes? So what your your concept of God is governs all of these things. You see, these questions have different answers depending on what your intellectual concept of deity or, or God is in which God you worship. And we'll get to that in a minute because that, that's next. Okay. How many gods are there? Well, there's only one God, Joe. The Bible says so. No, the Bible doesn't. I know that Charlie just quoted Isaiah for you and told you he's one Elohim, but that's, you got to trace concept in scripture. If you're doing just a word study, you're going to think you found contradictions because the Bible tells you there are other Elohim LLs in the world. And the only way to really conceptually understand that in the Bible, they're different gods. Baal is not an imaginary thing of subject in the Bible. Baal, Marduk, Dagon, these are all real gods. The Bible talks about the gods of Egypt as though they are real because they are. In biblical sense, these are gods. These are spiritual beings with power and authority, but they are not equal to God in the Bible. Now you're going to find this same pattern in Egypt. You're going to find it all throughout Mesopotamia. You're going to find it in the Greek and Roman pantheons. There's a hierarchy of the gods. So which God do you worship? That's important. There's more than one God in man's psyche. So I've got a, a dictionary at home and oh my God, you want to make a house payment buying a book. It's the dictionary of deity and demons in the Bible. Holy cow. Yeah, there are at least 70, according to the dividing of the nations, if I'm correct, Aaron Spikes. Yes, there are at least 70 Elohim. But I've got a book that talks about the different gods in the Bible. And it, they're gods. Okay? They're, they're deities. They're spiritual beings. So which, which of these ones do you worship and why? And if you think, well, I'm an atheist, Joe, I don't believe in any of this. Yes, you worship a God, folks, you do. And it all comes down to your your, your definition of a God. What is a God? And when you look at the definition in the English language of God, you're going to find out that the, the macro, the general form of form and function 
an atheist worships themselves. They think God is man. Man is God. And a lot of them say so. So don't think you don't worship a God. Everybody worships by definition. We've covered this before for this reason. So if there's more than one God, which one are you going to follow? And how do you determine the answers to any of these questions? That's the whole point of today's show. How do we know what to do here? Or does any of this matter? And if it doesn't, why or why not? And then a lot of people are happy with that. They're like, eh, mess on it. It doesn't mean nothing to me. Okay. Saying is that you can ignore politics. Politics won't ignore you. Well, the spirit world, you can ignore it all you want, but it's not going to ignore you. And this is how you get in trouble in politics. Guess what? It's how you get in trouble with the spiritual world as well. So, Joe, science can't prove the spiritual world. Yes, it can. Yes, science can prove it. Or at least prove that there's something there. Science can't prove multiple dimensions. And yet we just assume they're there because the mathematics say they have to be. Well, that's just theoretical mathematics, folks. You have hard physical phenomenon in this universe that is best explained as a spiritual world. It's just when you think spiritual, you think mythology. You don't put real in it. You have to do that. That's one of the first places you got to start. Do you believe there is something more than this material world? And if so, how does that mesh with the idea of God? And that's when you start with, okay, well, what do I mean by God? What do I mean by the spirit world? So what do we do? First things first, start. First, investigate. Like we said, what do you mean by God? What would God be to you in your mind? If you're starting out fresh, what would God be to you? A God, any God. If, if you're going to conceive of a God, what would a God have to be? And what would he be like? What would he do? How would he do it? Why would he do any of it? Or she or whatever. I don't care. Conceptualize that. You're going to think, okay, for me to think of God, this is going to be A, B, C, D. Make a checklist. I'm serious. Sit down, do it sometime. Make yourself a checklist. And then investigate the many gods in this world. And I, I mean, there are many. Allah's one God. The gods of, Ab- of uh, Mormonism are another God. Um, I don't want to get too ugly about this, but I'm not entirely sure everybody that calls themselves a Christian is chasing after the same Jesus. And you'll understand that in coming weeks why I say that. And it's based in the Bible. Everything I'm ever going to teach you, I can open your scriptures and show you what I'm looking at that has me thinking that way. I may not have it correct, but it is there. And if you've been with me any length of time, you know that I've probably got more than one scripture that supports what I'm thinking because on the testimony of two or more witnesses, and that includes the scriptures too. I need two or more passages to make doctrine out of it or to start making doctrine. So which God and do any of them fit the criteria I laid out? And if it does, if, if you find one that does, test them. Test their teachings of that God and of his followers or her followers. Start touching, testing them. Can you test, I don't know, a Wiccan God? Can you? A witch's God, you know, Gaia or the universe, whatever. Can you test the universe? 
I don't know. I don't study that religion. Others may. I don't know if you can test them or not. I know I can test the God of the Bible on his merits. I know I can test Allah on his merits because I've read all the books dealing with Allah. I bet you Charlie knows how to test the gods of Mormonism. Read the writings of this God that you're interested in as you start narrowing it down. And I mean actually read them. Oh, Joe, the Bible's so long and boring. Is it? It's one of the best pieces of literature man has ever created. It's got everything in there, man. Murder, theft, all sorts of mystery, political intrigue. It's it's even filled full of erotica and, and romance and sexual immorality and all sorts of stuff. It's filled full of all of that stuff. As well as everything else that you might think, well, it's all God stuff. No, it isn't, man. It's got wars. and I mean, it's got everything in there. Read the writings. Listen to the teachings of, of the, that God's priests. Test them on their own merits. Do they hold up under scrutiny? I'll give you an example. So Allah's God, right? God of the Bible. And Muhammad says, read the Bible for truth and enlightenment because Allah is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Okay, so I read the Bible and it says all true prophets come from Isaac. Muhammad says, I'm not a prophet. I trace myself through uh, Ishmael. But then he calls himself the prophet. I'm Muhammad the prophet. And then he says, oh, wait a minute. Allah has changed his mind. He's abrogated all that stuff in the Bible. But the Bible says God is Yahweh, God, and he does not change. So what I now have are contradictions. So if Allah is the God of the Bible, when he starts abrogating things, he's changed his own word. And his prophet Muhammad told me, first three years, read the Bible. That's Allah. And then all of a sudden, Allah changes. So I test Allah on the merits of his prophet Muhammad, and I find that he's a liar. And he's fickle. And he changes his mind at a whim, which makes him anthropomorphic, meaning he's like man. And in my mind, a deity that is as screwed up as man is not a deity. So I reject him. Comment on the board from JMW78. I think many believers have separated God and Jesus and focus on one part of the big picture. Possibly. And we will get into that in the future. But you have to test whatever God it is and his teachings or her teachings on their merit. Does the God that you're looking at do what he says he'll do? Allah doesn't. Changes his mind. He says, I'm not going to change. Then he changes. He says, I'll do this. And then he changes his mind again. He says, Muhammad, you can't do that. But when Muhammad wants to do it, Allah gives him permission. It is amazing. When you read the history of Allah, it's just about like Allah is Muhammad. Gee, I wonder. It's a lot like Joseph Smith. Does this God um, say he will do it? You know, what, what does he say he'll do? Does he do it? Can the teachings of this faith, of this God, can his teachings be lived? Do they work in this world? Do they help you? Do they provide answers? Do they provide guidance, comfort? Are they of any use to you? Does your idea of God care about that? A deist doesn't care. A deist's idea of God is, you know, whatever. God left you to your own account. You're an animal. Okay, see why your idea of God is important? So, 
If your God doesn't have solutions, guidance, comfort, assurance, okay. But what if he does? Does all of the teachings of this God you're looking at, do they flow? Do they mesh? Do they work together? Is there unity and and cohesion of concept there in that God's teachings? Or are they a hot mess like they are in in Islam? Because if you study Islam, Allah is constantly changing his mind and going to, I mean, I'll be honest with you, man. Allah, when you read the history of Islam and the Quran, Allah, Allah sounds like a ticked off prepubescent or adolescent female. I mean, he's just, he's just got, he's got drama for your mama, man. He's always up in a hot uproar about something when you read it. That's not the God of the Bible. That's not a deist God. Some of the gods of the Hindu pantheon different. Sounds a little bit like Zeus when he's in a bad mood. Yeah, that's one of the things as I was exiting Mormonism, they were they were changing a lot of their, you know, temple ordinances and things like that. And one of the uh, leaders of the church that call themselves a prophet, he actually said that they will continue to change you know, forever. And I'm like, uh, hold on a second. Well, they can do that because their God is a man. Yeah. But, but, and man is fickle. But to me, if something was really revealed and, you know, God said it, you expect eternal truth from your deity. Yes. It, it should not change. Well, that's not the deity of Mormonism. Right. So you've got a changing God, a, a God that changes their mind all the time. Which is like a lot. So which, you see which, exactly which why. It, which makes it chaos. Yes. So in your mind, a God is not connected. A true God is not connected to the concepts of chaos. Right. See, now you're understanding, Charlie, why I say these are questions that all believers right. need to sit down and work through. Yeah, this, this, I mean, this is the basic things that we've got to get down to. Uh if we're going to understand what the basis of our faith is, because, you know, now I look at it and I'm, I'm like, okay, Yahweh, you know, that that's what I believe. You know, I believe that Yahweh is the God almighty and he does not change. Yep. And that actually gives me comfort because I know that if I'm following his rules the best that I can, I know that he's not going to change the rules in the middle of the game. Oh gosh, I hate that. When 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 I'm, you know, doing something, you know, like with a company or or with you know whatever or an organization or something, and they've got rules and I'm following their rules, and you know their rules lead to some, you know, end point, you know, and some reward or whatever, and I get halfway through and then they change the rules of the game. Oh, that irritates me. It's very progressive of them. Yes. Because then it's like, okay, you know, I was doing all this work towards this goal and now is it worth it? You know, cause maybe I'll get right to the end. You know, that's why I, I had an opportunity to, um, go back to work. And basically that's what happened is they changed the rules in the middle of the game. And I'm like, um, no, I'm not going to do that. You know, because I, I don't trust you when you do that. And you don't want that from your God either. Right. So these are the important things we need to look at uh, as we're evaluating, you know, 
who God is, what God is, you know, and those kind of things. There you go. This is why these things are important, Charlie. Yeah. Thank you, sir. Very good. Okay, so for many people, there's no God. This is where communists stand. No God at all. Okay, gotcha. For other people, man is God. Well, that's very progressive. The, the progressives flat out say that man is God. We're going to come back to that in just a minute. Others see an anthropomorphic God. These are pagans. From anthropomorphic. They're, uh, God is like man. Man is like God. A very humanistic God. And still others see a distortion of what they think is, you know, or what I would believe to be the one true God. It's a distortion of the biblical God. Those are apostates. If, if you're a Christian or a Jew, those would be apostates because they take, the, the, they take one God and they change him a little bit. Mormonism would be an apostasy. Islam is an apostasy. Both are apostasies of, of the Judeo-Christian faith. But Christianity, in many, in many cases, Christianity, Catholicism is apostate. Now, apostate does not mean you cannot find salvation in the teachings. Don't get me wrong. I just said it's, an, it's a perversion of the true faith. You can have apostates. An apostate in Islam is somebody who leaves Islam So you because they, they change their beliefs. So you have to look at all of these things. Now, I told you we'd come back to like with the progressives. They, think, they see man as his own God. And I was, I've been talking about all these things that your God has to answer your questions for. Well, what... Why would I say that, you know, the Hebrews and the progressives were looking for the same thing? The, the Hebrews, we think Jews, but no, it's actually Hebrews. The Hebrew faith, the God of the Bible teaches the exact same thing that the progressives want. They want order in society. They want a lawful, ordered society. What's the difference between the two? The progressives think man can perfect himself and society. Uh, that makes man God. A Hebrew thinks that God set down laws, Yahweh set down these laws, and that if I obey them, it will create an ordered society. A Hebrew knows that man is imperfect, cannot perfect himself. He needs Yahweh to do that. So the Hebrew relies on Yahweh to perfect things for him. So he's going to follow Yahweh's teachings and they look for eternal, you know, the remaking or eternal salvation in Yahweh. Well, the progressive follows himself and looks for perfection and eternal salvation in himself. That's all concept of God. So if a progressive tells me, if Woodrow Wilson, and he did, he talked about the Bible. He says, well, I believe in the Bible. No, you don't, Woodrow. No, you don't. Well, he said he does, Joe. But his actions, his fruit, not his words, what the Bible would call his fruit, his actions, his deeds, tell me he worships himself. Now, this should be very dangerous. It should be a warning call for us because this is a very dangerous thing. If you don't understand the concepts, if you don't have this all down, if you don't have your foundations down, what it's easy to see, well, yeah, Woodrow, well, I can get that, Joe. I see that. It's That's just like uh, Nancy Pelosi says she's a good good believer in Jesus, but she ne no, she can't be. She never does anything Jesus says to do. Most people in the church today are like this. Most people who go to church on Sunday are like this. They profess with their mouth, but their hearts are afar off 
from the God they claim to believe in. Notice I just quoted scripture there, paraphrased it. But if you don't have your basics down, how are you going to know that? How are you going to know if you're doing something wrong or are you going to even care? It's easy to point the finger at somebody else. It's hard to accept criticism of the person in your mirror, isn't it? So I did all of these things. I went through all of this at one point in my life. I went through all these questions and sat down and did all of this. And I arrived at some very different conclusions from what I'd been taught. I landed on Yahweh, not God. When I read the Bible, God. Hmm. Why did I tell you you need to figure these things out? Okay, I read the Bible, God, Allah in this guy's head. I read the Bible, God, the Mormon God in this guy's head. I read the Bible, God, Yahweh in this lady's head. Same book, same word, three different deities. So why do I use Yahweh? So that you know which Elohim I'm talking about. That's important. Because the Bible says Elohim and doesn't put a name or a descriptor on it, like El Elyon, highest Elohim, you don't know who we're talking about. Same thing with the word God. So I arrived at Yahweh, the God of Scripture, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the true God of the Bible. Uh, not Allah, not the Mormon, not an apostate God, not, <clears throat> not the modern-day Jesus, not the hippie Jesus. Nope. Um, and how did I get there? It, and why is this important? Well, if you're a good progressive, you can read the Constitution and come up with every, anything you want because it's a living document, right? If I turn this into a living book, not the way it means living, but in a living book that I can reinterpret it anytime I want, does it mean anything at all? No, it means whatever I want it to mean. I have to understand what I'm talking about. This whole hour, this is what this has been about. You have to figure out what exactly it is you're talking about for yourself first. This is what it means to work out your own salvation. These are questions you have to ask yourself. These are questions you must answer for yourself, no matter where you're at in your faith. I don't care if you've been a believer all your life. Make sure you've got these answers down. So for me, my witness, first of all, my nature. <clears throat> I, I, I've got a, I'm very restless. I don't, I get bored easy. I was made to be a rolling stone intellectually. I can sit and veg all day long in a library. Y'all never move, man. Somebody bring me Cheetos and a Mountain Dew. I'm good. You pile the books up on the table. I'll never move. Physically, I'm never going to be the athlete. Okay. Intellectually, my mind will not sit still. Why, 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 why? I'm driven for truth, capital T truth, the truth, truth. I've told you before, I want to face the monster eyeball to eyeball. I got to know as best I can, and I got to dig. I have, me, me, I have got to dig, 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 dig. And even when I think I've got it down, I keep digging. Am I at bedrock? Is there something more? Is there something under there? Is there a trap door on the floor? I keep looking, always. I go back. That's what we're doing today. We're going back and looking at it all over again. This is me circling back. I'm not questioning myself this time, though. 
this class is the start of something my wife told me I have to do. BB told me that the folks who've known me for years, they've like Natasha, she's been walking with me for over a decade. She's been through all of this before. Y'all haven't. So some of what you hear me teach, you don't understand why I'm where I'm at. I got to go back and teach that to everybody, including my own congregation. And that's what I'm going to do. Now, in the process, my mind is, is very logically ordered. It's one of the reasons I don't want to learn another language. I am fond of the way my brain works. It's just that I can pick up a different type of thinking, use it, examine it, and then put it back on the shelf. In order to learn a new, different language, you have to learn to think like that language thinks. I don't want to do that because my brain is logically ordered. Um, I'm concept oriented. I, I like facts and details. Yes, but I'm concept oriented. My congregation, um, our doctorates asked who's and answer that question for me. Would you Charlie? Um, by concept, I don't like when a lot of people do word studies, so they, this word here and this word here in the scriptures, I look for the concept. I, I trace the concepts and I just bought a new Bible. I got it yesterday. I bought it on a whim it says it's a concept Bible. And in the back of it, I'm like, holy cow, where has this been my whole life? Because in the back of it, rather than showing me every place the word is used, it shows me every place that concept is discussed in the Bible. Oh boy. And then I find out this Bible has been around since 1908. So I'm concept oriented. I seek consistency um, in coherent thinking. Um. I don't like contradictions. So when I try to understand all of this stuff, I'm seeking order too. I'm seeking order of thinking, order of understanding. Okay, And I've learned to be okay with not knowing all the answers. You must do that. If you're going to be in the Bible, you must get okay with not having the answers. One of the biggest problems in the body of believers is that People come up to something, they have to have an answer. They'll shove an answer onto the scripture and go with it just because they have to have an answer. That's how you, that's how you create heresies and blasphemy. And that's how you create false doctrines. Okay. Not to know. Okay. The Bible even tells you that he will teach you when he's ready. He may never teach things to you. So I observe I question, I, I research, I look, I dig, I seek, I collect pieces. I've told you this, I collect pieces. Piece here, piece there. This is one of the things that Jimmy Zinker tells you he likes about me. A lot of times I'll collect pieces and just throw them in the filing cabinet. They may stay there for years until all of a sudden, and then I'll remember it. I'll remember that piece is in the filing cabinet. I'll pull a cabinet out and grab that piece and fit it in the puzzle. That's the way my mind works. I don't expect you to think and work this way. I don't. I don't. This is my story. I was made to be a teacher. I look back on life now and I know why I was made the way I am. I was made for a time such as this. I was made to stand up at this point in time. I assemble puzzles. And Yahweh has made me in a way that he can download massive amounts of data into my head at an amazingly short period of time. And I sort it into place as fast as he downloads it. Robot and short circuit. Input, input. I love it. Feed it to me faster. It's just the way I was made. 
So how did all this start for me? Well, this is the way I'm made and the time comes up. I'm studying with this one teacher in my church, Baptist, Southern Baptist church, and he's going to leave because he wants to do more. He wants to go to a different, bigger ministry. He wasn't allowed to do as much as he wanted to do in the congregation where we were at. So he's going to go work as an associate pastor. He has a big class. One of the reasons that it caused political strife within the body, it shouldn't have, but it did. You know, the people were worried he was going to start his own church and pull away, you know, 76 members of their church. All they saw was money. They shouldn't have worried about that. That The gentleman in question didn't want to do that. He just wanted to do more to serve. He leaves, and we break up into three different classes, and they need a Sunday school teacher. So I volunteer, put my little mitt in the air. Okay, I'll do this. Start teaching out of the Lifeway books. I'm like, this is garbage. This isn't even surface level shallow. I mean, this is for babies who are still, biblically, the word is still on the teat. You're still nursing at mama's breast, that young a believer. And these are the Lifeway books I'm supposed to teach adults that have been in, no, 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 no. So I asked my, my pastor, I said, can I teach out of the Bible? Oh, yeah, yeah, sure, Joe. Okay, cool. Asked him which Bible, and we'll get to this in another class, but this is the one I've been teaching with ever since. It's an NASB Bible. It's an NASB study Bible. You watch, you can get these things for $25, $28 brand new on Amazon. Go on sale sometimes. I love that scripture. And we'll get into why I use that one. But I started teaching out of that. And me being who I am, I start reading it. I'm a philosopher. I have to know it. So I read it from cover to cover. And I find out that it says before I even know anything about the languages, before I know about the cultures, the idioms, for any of that, just reading this, this does not teach what my pastors have been teaching me in the Catholic church and the Protestant church my whole life. So I'm about 43, 44, 45 years old when this happens. I got 40 something years of not this. And I found an old pastor one time in his writings. He said that he once handed a Bible to a homeless person who had never read the Bible. And he said, three months later, the homeless person understood the faith of this book better than most people that had been in his church their whole lives because he simply read it. So you can find what you need without any extra understanding. It's here. You will find the basics, the basics of salvation right here in this book. You'll find them just by reading it. If you'll read it on its own merits, but me trained philosopher, I'm reading it. And I'm like, holy crap, I got a problem. I've been trained to take the teachings of my previous life out of things, take the emotion out of it, take my vested interest in the teachings of man and the traditions of man out of the equation, read what is in front of me. What does the text say? And I realized that the Christian church, the visible Christian church, and I don't have another way to use the language. I, I don't want to accuse people. I don't want to accuse individuals, but I'm, I'm telling you the individual, what we call Christianity has some serious breaches with what's written here. Serious breaches with what's written here. So I have to start studying for Joe because I'm going to teach, right? I know the passage in here. I'm going to be judged harder because I'm a teacher. So I have to understand the original intent of the scriptures. 
And up until this point, I'd been studying the Constitution for a decade. I needed the original intent of the Constitution. I had to go back and understand the language, the culture, the times. What was it politically and what was the zeitgeist, the spirit of the times in the founding father's age? What was going on? What were they trying to do? Why was this all happening? I did the same thing for the Bible. And I started to learn about the language, the culture. What are the basic concepts and subjects in the Bible? What's the objective in the different books and subjects in the Bible? What method? How does it all get done? And how does it all fit together? I don't want contradictions in my understanding. I don't want that. I want it to be coherent and consistent because it tells me Yahweh, the true God of Scripture, that's his covenant name, Yahweh, covenant name. He tells me he's not a God of chaos. He's not a, a, an Elohim of disorder. So I have to be able to read that Bible without any contradiction in my mind from cover to cover the whole thing. Genesis 1, 1 to the end of the book of Revelation. And it starts with a whole bunch of stuff. Which, which, which translations, which Bible, which books, all, all that stuff. Um, I have to study all of this. And then I got to start teaching the people who are learning from me. What I started to do with the Bible to make sure, first of all, that I, I believed it, I studied it on its own merits, and I started to test it. I checked it against history to make sure prophecy worked. I checked it for logical consistency, which some of you by now realize I'm really, really good at that. I checked it for internal consistency, concept to concept. Does it hold up? answer over and over and over again for the last 20 years or so has been yes. 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 It holds up if you test it on its merits. By that I mean according to the way it tells you to test it. Understand it as it tells you to understand it. Test it the way it look for the things it, the scriptures, tell you to look for. So why is there so much confusion and division within the body of people who call themselves believers? Why? Holy cow. Why so many denominations? And the book tells me that I'm not supposed to split or divide. Why so many arguments over words when it tells me that I'm not supposed to argue over words? Paul says that's a vanity, pride, arrogance. There's people who read Paul and say he's a heretic. They reject him. They say he's not teaching the same. They, they say he's teaching a heresy. If you read Paul and you think he's teaching something other than what the Old Testament teaches, you misunderstand something. You've misunderstood Paul. Is there anything in the Bible that would tell me about that, Joe? Yes, Peter tells you Paul is hard to understand. You better be careful with him because he will lead you to destruction because you misunderstand him. Yep, and you got to play Jeopardy with Paul. Yes. <laughs> Paul gives you the question. You got to figure out. Well, he gives you the answer. You got to figure out what the question was. Yes, I, I get that. You do have to play Jeopardy with Paul. So, why is all that? Why is Paul so difficult? Paul tells you why he's difficult. I'm a Torah observant Pharisee. And you've been taught to read Paul as though the law doesn't matter anymore. Torah, not the law of Moses, Torah the Tanakh, the Old Testament. So if you're going to read Paul 
in contradiction to his clear words, you will misunderstand Paul. This is what I mean. you got to test the Bible on its merits. you got to read Paul the way Paul tells you to read him. you got to have that caution that Peter tells you to have with Paul. The whole Bible, I say it has to be swallowed whole. Genesis 1-1 to the last verse of Revelation. And you got to test it. So this is how we end up with confusion in the body. People don't do this. They don't even read their Bibles. Well, my pastor read it to me and explained it. How do you know your pastor was right? He wouldn't lie to me. That doesn't mean he lied to you. Maybe he had it wrong. He's human. He was taught by other human teachers who might have had it wrong. Who were taught by other human teachers who might have had it wrong. You have to test it. Bible says so. You, not them. Test it on its own merits. We get, we get confusion. We get division. We get different denominations. We get bad teachings, false teachings. Which brings me to the Hebrew Roots Movement. And the things Charlie and I are messing with. I did not know what the heck that was. Never really paid attention to it. I mean, I'd read the words. I'd seen the name. I knew it existed. It was a thing. I was, ch I was chasing my rabbit. I saw the squirrels going by on the side, to the side of the road. I, I was on the hunt of my rabbit. So Hebrew Roots Movement. Boom. Okay. Filing cabinet. I find my way to my congregation. I realize it's part of this Hebrew Roots Movement. So I'm like, okay, I pull it out of the filing cabinet and start paying attention to it. I had a talk with Dr. Heiser, an email exchange. Rather lengthy. Why is this so dangerous? And he explained to me that is legalism. And I looked at the congregation I was in and I said, I don't see legalism here. And I explained to him what they believed or what I thought they believed. And he goes, Well, maybe you're in a okay, you're 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 in a decent place then. You're okay. So I at the time I needed his reassurance. So I started researching the Hebrew roots, and I realized some of the problems that Dr. Heiser had told me to watch for were in my congregation. Still are. So I had to start researching the Hebrew Roots Movement. See, I'm testing, I'm testing this denominational teaching. Where does it go to? Where is it? Where does it come from? What, and I start finding real problems with it. And I start looking at what they're teaching. It sounds like what I left in the Christian church, you know, the good, good parts of it, the sound doctrine. But when I started paying closer attention, I realized I had equivocation problems. They're using the same words. They're talking about two different things. Yeah. So I start looking to other Hebrew roots movement. Uh, they're teaching something entirely different using the same language. And then I realize almost no two of these congregations is in agreement on anything. And then I find a book that pretends to tell me what's wrong with Hebrew roots movement from the Christian perspective, you know, the correct Christian perspective. And I'm like, yeah, you're describing the Hebrew roots movement that I've found, but you're also not stating the problem correctly. The Hebrew roots movement is not entirely wrong. It's prophetic in its core, meaning it's the fulfillment of a prophecy that's clearly in the Bible. And they've got, they are the, they're continuing what the Protestants started with the Catholic Church. So the Christian church is now doing with the Hebrew roots movement, what the Hebrew, what the, what the Catholic church did with the Protestants. And all we have is a big fight and a big division within the body and nobody, none of them 
not a soul in any of this mess is pointing to this. You will not sit in any of my Bible teachings without me pointing to the rule book. My students will tell you all the time, rule book, rule book, rule book, not Joe, not Joe's understanding. I'll tell you, it's my understanding at this time, but I will point you to the rule book. I will tell you, you got to work this out for yourself. I'll tell you, check me, test it. This is between you, God and the Holy Spirit, Yahweh, the Holy Spirit. You got to figure this out. I will hand do my best to hand you tools to help you understand what I see, how I've seen it. And we go from there. And we're going to take a break. Six and the minutes. The Bible even teaches us to do this. Yes. They, they, you know, in the Bible, it talks about when Paul was, you know, preaching to a group of people, they were called, they were called Bereans. Yep. And he congratulated them actually, because they would listen to him and then they would go home and they would search the scriptures and see what he was telling them, whether it was correct or not. So that's something that, you know, we need to do. Creates a strong faith. Yes. When we, when we go to church and we listen to a pastor or whatever, given a sermon and stuff, you know, go check them. Is what he is telling us, is it, does it, does it mesh with the rule book? Or is it something different? Or in this case, the instruction manual, because that's closer yeah, to Hebrew yeah. thinking. Yes. That, that yeah, would be I, better, I need to change my own language that, that here. Would, that would be a better... The instruction manual. Yeah, instruction manual. I need to change that. That, that would instruction be a better manual. way of saying that, especially from the Hebraic perspective. Let's take a six-minute break. When we come back, I'm going to start explaining to you where we're going to go with Worship Wednesday for the next year, for the rest of this year, and why. I'll see you in six.
All right, we're back real quick. For those of you that are following the board, I threw two links up in the board. Um, I put them in the permanent comment section of Rumble, so you can go back and find them if you need to. But the first one is to the Thompson Chain Reference uh, Bible. It's an NASB uh, copy of the Bible. And in the back of it, Chain Reference, it gives you the references to the thought, to the thinking, um, the concept. It's a concept study Bible. The other link that I put in there is to Dr. Michael Heiser's The Unseen Realm. Um, I don't know where you're at in your world. If you can afford it and you don't already have a copy, snag a copy of The Unseen Realm. Get a copy of that book. Start reading it. It will put you into the, it'll, it'll start, it'll do the best single source place I've found of putting you into the thinking of a Hebrew. It will help you start understanding your Bible in much better context. It'll help you with the imagery. It'll help explain some of the language. It'll show you some things that are right there in your Bible that you might have misunderstood over the years because you had a Greek mindset and you're trying to think in terms of, of, of Greek modern day 21st century or 20th century thinking, you know, Western world thinking. So you're doing the best you can. Don't get me wrong. You're doing the best you can to understand this, but you're just missing the cultural context or the linguistic contexts. So you you can't get it right. This book will help you with that. Yeah, and I also put a link in there, um, but I also put a caution in there. This is a link to find um, Torah observant, hopefully, congregations, but you need to test these. Yeah. You know, uh, because some of them may be on there. Some of them, like we're talking about, some of them may, may be uh, not 119 quite, ministries. Quite on, on right. So. All right. Before we get back to the lesson plan, real big warning about 119 ministries. This is, this, is an, uh, this is a perfect example of the Hebrew Roots movement, the good, the bad, the ugly. There's some good teaching there. There's some really good, sound biblical teaching there. There's some absolute garbage there. They're Judaizing people. They're taking you back to the law of Moses. By definition, you are under the renewed, the new covenant, the new covenant. It's a covenant past the laws of Moses, which means you're not under the law of Moses anymore. That does not mean you're not under Torah. Now, if we're confusing you, this is all part of what I'm trying to get at in the first hour. The reason you're not tracking with me, if you're not tracking perfectly well with me, your Sunday school teachers and your pastors have let you down over the years. This should all be, this is all foundational Christian belief 101 teaching right now. This should be in every believer's head, down pat, like ABCs. You should be all nodding with me. Yeah, I got it, Joe. Got it. But we don't. We don't. And over the next few weeks, I'm going to do my best for those who want to follow with us to put all of these things into clear understanding. And I am going to use nothing but the instruction manual. We will go outside of the instruction manual only when necessary. And we'll do it only to help us find the meaning of the original languages or the concepts that are, you know, the, the cultural context. Stuff that the Bible assumed we knew when it was written. So where do all these failures come from? Failure and understanding. Well, first and foremost, most of us refuse to acknowledge Yahweh. In my case, it's Yahweh. 
if you get paganism wrong, you don't acknowledge your pagan God correctly. I mean, all of us fail to acknowledge our God, but for me, for the rest of this show, we're looking at Yahweh. So we fail to acknowledge Yahweh. And by that, I mean the, 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 the Christian language, the church language would be bend your knee, yield to him. His will, not yours. His over yours. That's what it means to take up your cross. Because in the days that that, that that idiom, that figure of speech, it meant you were going to die. You pick up your cross, you were on the way to die. You are going to go be crucified. That's what it means to die daily. You put his will ahead of yours. I'm driving down the road, and I get ticked off at the guy who pulls out in front of me. I've got to calm myself down. Don't get angry. That's a sin in this case, Joe. And I have to tell myself, don't do that. Somebody does something that it's clearly wrong. And I know it's wrong, and I know they should know better. Well, Joe, you once didn't understand either. Patience. Patience. I'm impatient. I, I'm an impatient person. I'm always in a hurry. But I got to tell myself, patience. Scripture says patience. Gentle, kind, agape-type love, patience. Even if they don't ever figure it out, patience, because that's what I was told to do. You got I, I literally talk to myself. We've got to learn to do this. That's following the instruction manual. But to know this, you have to study the instruction manual. You have to study it so that you understand it. And you have to be able to understand it properly so that you can apply it. I'm going to apply the instruction. Oh, by the way, that's another way of saying obey. But I'm going to try and change my language a little bit. That helps with the, the bad teachings in the, in the, in the body. You're not going to hear me say obey anymore. Apply what you've learned. Walk the walk. Stay on the narrow path. Stay on the way. So that means I actually have to open the book and read it for myself? Yes. I don't, I, I'm not supposed to rely on someone else to read it and tell me what it says? No. And it says so. Now, That's if, important. Yes. Now, in the ancient times when you couldn't read and we couldn't all afford scriptures, then you have to go to your con to your synagogue, but they would read big. And I like today, you might read a paragraph. Oh no, 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 man! They would read the whole book. It was an all day long thing in the in the ancient times, and the rabbis would then discuss it, and you'd hear several differing opinions. It's called a midrash, and the teachers would discuss the reading, and try to figure out what it meant and how to apply it to your life. Okay, so we've got to do this, and this is part of the problem. Our focus is off. We go to church for what we get out of it. That's not why you're supposed to go to church. You're supposed to church go to church so that you can meet with and learn and under meet with people that think and agree, you know, have the same faith, support each other, fellowship, but also to learn about Yahweh's teachings and to worship him. This is what this is all about. Learn to obey him. Well, learn to apply his teachings. It's going to take me a while to get this language changed, but I'll work on it. You got to learn to apply his teachings. Our focus is off, and we're lazy. We're lazy. We're lazy. We've we will move heaven and earth to make sure we don't miss the tailgate or the or the pregame. But we will look for any excuse we can find to leave church a couple minutes early. And if it goes one minute past an hour, we don't want nothing to do with it, folks. If that's your faith, just quit going. You, yeah, you heard me right. Quit going. You're wasting your time. Now, I just heard a lot of people yelling at me for that. 
it's a truthful statement. If you're there watching your watch so that you can get out of church and go watch the NFL, go home. Don't come back to church anymore. You're wasting your time. You're fooling yourself. You're not doing any good there. You're there for the entire wrong reasons. It, you're going to be told when you're done. You meet him on that judgment day, he's going to say, you're gone from me. I never knew you. Because you put football or Sunday, whatever, you know, picnic or whatever, fishing ahead of him. So back to basics, square one. Test the scriptures. It'll require us to study. That's work. Study is work. But then again, nothing really worth having comes free. Grace is free, Joe. Was grace free? Was grace free? No. It's just that you didn't pay the penalty. Somebody else did. Somebody else is your redeemer. He paid the penalty, and it cost him everything. So nothing worth having is free. We're going to start working on this. Which God? Fine, Yahweh. Which scriptures? Ah, we're going to talk about that. Might even be what we do next week. Which translation of the scripture and why? What books? What is canon? Can we trust it? How do we know? Yeah, Charlie, that'll be what we're doing next week. Which Bible are we going to read out of? Oh, that'll be good. And why? Yes. And how do we know we can trust it? That's what we're going to tackle. And what tools do we have to help us study the Bible? And why do we know we can trust it? That'll be a good class for you. I'm going to tell you that I can, I can, I can make that case slam dunk scientifically. Yes, scientifically, that you can trust your Bible. I can make that case based off of what I expect the word of God to be. Word of my Elohim, word of Yahweh. And I expect it based on what it says. Oh, and behold, here it is. Once we decide all this, what tools do we have available to help us study our scriptures? Do that, part of that next week as well. You might want to get a notebook, folks. If you take this Worship Wednesday seriously, it might be time to buy a new notebook. You might need it. So we're going to look at what tools we have available to us without having to spend a lot of money. I will finally, for the first time, start getting a book list together for people. They've been asking me. I'm going to publish one. I'll put it in a show note next week. Websites that you can use and books that I would recommend for you. And then I will publish it in a permanent page on the blog page. Then are we prepared to study? First of all, do you have the desire to do so? Without the desire, forget it. You don't have the love of it, just go away. If that desire is not there, you're wasting your time because that tells you what your heart is. And I don't necessarily mean your emotions. I mean your brain. Because that's scripturally, that's you got to be careful. Because in the Bible, heart, the actual Hebrew is entrails. And it's talking about the seat of your will, your intellect not your emotional desires. So you got to have the desire. you got to have a place to study. You know, remember when you were in school? Studying in your bed was not the most effective place to study. 
it, it works better at a desk or or someplace where you know that intellectually in your mind this is where i study where your tools are available you need to set out time this is when i'm going to study a little bit of discipline i'm going to get into the scriptures and you want more than half an hour a week that's not going to work you're going to need to study this stuff now, if you do a good job with this and your mind is of it, and you know you have the will and, and, and the heart to do this, you're going to find that it gets to where you want to study. This is fascinating stuff we're going to get into if you have the desire for it. But when you get all that done, you know, you've got the desire, I've got a place, I've got the tools, I set aside a time. Now you got to Nike it, man. You just got to do it. There's going to be things I'm going to be teaching you along the way. The Bible is filled full of history books. Theology, you know, instruction. It's filled full of poetry, different types of poetry. It's filled full of analogy, allegory, polemics. How many of you even know what a polemic is? It's filled full of idioms, figures of speech. It's filled full of illustrations. Now, a lot of them are cultural in nature, but we've got to go over all of these. We've got to learn how to identify them because all of these things communicate ideas, but they do it in different ways. And if you don't understand the culture and language behind it, you're going to get it wrong. It, yeah, not intentionally. No, no. no we're not a key. That, just like, okay. something we, we need to get. Charlie, into. you're coming on the screen for a minute okay. here. Yep. Quick aside, quick rabbit. We'll come back. Polemic. How yep. many believers fight over whether or not it's old earth, new earth oh, in the book of big, Genesis? Big fight, big fight. Okay. If you understood what Moses is really doing there, there's no reason to fight, is there? Nope, not at all. Is is Moses telling us how the world was created? Nope. That's a polemic there in Genesis, isn't it? It is a polemic. You are convinced of that now, aren't you? Yes. You want to. You want to learn something you didn't know. Define for our people what a polemic is. A polemic is when I take your story of your God and turn it around on its head and point it back to my God. When I correct your theology using your stories. It's when I take your imagery and correct it and use it to point and teach a whole new theological uh, point or lesson. Yep. And if you look at it. <laughs> I can use the Mandalorian. The Mandalorian yep. can be used as a polemic to teach the way, which yes. is what the Bible calls yes. the, you know, it's not Christianity. It's not this. It's not that. It's not Judaism. It's actually the way. In scriptures, it's called the way. From the Old Testament forward, it's called the way. Sure. So the Mandalorian is always saying the way, the way, the way I could take that story and teach you biblical, correct biblical theology using the Mandalorian movie. That's yep, a polemic. So Charlie, tell them what I showed you. I didn't know it either until I ran into it. No, What's no, Moses oh, really doing there in Genesis? Oh man. When you, when you shared that with me, j just when you just even put the concept before me, I'm like, oh my gosh, if this is true, this this solves everything as far as the fighting over, you know, newer. There's no reason for people. There's no fight because that's not what he's doing. He's attacking the Egyptian and Mesopotamian gods and showing that Yahweh is transcendent and that he created everything and he's still involved in everything and, and and it shows how he put everything into place and the chaos and the um everything that, that disorder that in the world yeah, yeah the disorder that that their gods have 
it eliminates that. Yes. And it shows how Yahweh is a God of order and how he, you know, still works. And it, 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 it also it explains perspective. Right. It, 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 it solves so many things. It fits. Now that doesn't mean that the world isn't young. There's, no, no, there's good reason to believe that it is. Yes. So don't get me wrong. And that's not the point. The whole thing here is put that argument aside. The point is once you understand what Moses is really doing, there's no reason for believers to argue. And then when a non-believer comes up to you and says, ha, ha, ha to your science, Moses doesn't understand how the world was created. Now you have an answer to that. A biblical salad. You'll take that argument right out from underneath a non-believer. And then when a non-believer says, well, look, you got a creation story in Job that doesn't match with the creation story in Genesis, which means your Bible contradicts. Now you know how to resolve that issue too. Because Job is talking more about how it was done, not the timeline, right. but what was going on. And it's Job is echoed in the Psalms, and it doesn't mesh with Genesis. But that's because it's not supposed to. Yeah. Genesis is an attack on the Egyptian gods. Job is telling you how Yahweh actually worked. Yes. All of these problems solved just by understanding that there's a polemic there. I was never taught about that in my entire oh, no, life coming no, up through church. No, man. When, when you presented that proposal to me and I, you know, immediately it, it fit for me just looking at the concept. Cause it resolves so that. many problems in the scriptures. Now I'm looking at the details of it and it all, Oh, everything's lining up. Even as I'm getting into the details of it, 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 it fits beautifully. And, and it's it still, you, you could understand. still have six 24 hour days. That'd yes. be fine. But yes. what it does is explains to you why the light exists before the sun was oh made. Oh my it. gosh. Yes. Oh, geez. The that light here is, it, me. yes, it's a, it's a theological concept. It, it explains so many things. It explains the firmament where that comes from. There's yes. so much going on in Genesis that we miss. And when, it, when people be like, well, where's the scriptural support for that? Well, Joshua tells the the israelites put away those egyptian gods you're still clinging to them it's been 40 50 years put those gods away and he doesn't talk about them as though they're fake he says get rid of them and then the 10 plagues the 10 plagues were also direct attacks on the egyptian gods they were. they were so genesis is a continuation of the attack on the egyptian gods this is the whole story of Genesis and Exodus is a destruction of the old 400 years of egyptian thinking that had gotten into the hebrew mindset Thank you, Natasha. <laughs> so that's what we're doing here. That that's all we're doing here, folks. Yeah, Natasha just uh posted yeah, we'll, the book we'll, there. So Natasha, could you put that link in the permanent comment section of Rumble for me, please? Yes, please. So that folks, that's over the next few coming months, we're gonna be doing classes like this that are gonna help you find the harmony in your Bible. And in the process, you're going to find out it's not as much of a mysticism book as you've been told by non-believers. And if you are somebody who has always questioned the Bible, this is going to be a series for you to get your nose in. Because I'm going to give you hard science that you can actually test. And it will test the Bible. Hard science, actual science from a sociologist's perspective. Yep. Folks, you, you do realize that sociology, the study of cultures, that's what the Bible's all about. Yeah, it is. It, it, in science, sociology, now I understand why I took that class, why I got that degree. <laughs> as for a time such as this. Yes, it fits, doesn't it? It really helps you to understand. Which is biblical. He's working what we call upstream. He's been preparing me this whole time.
So now I can use my philosophy degree to, to guide my sociology studies, my science into the scriptures and test the Bible scientifically. Something they tell you you can't do. Yes, you can. They tell you you can't because they don't want you to because they know what you're going to find. I'm going to show you how to do it in the next coming weeks. The exact same way a sociologist would test things. Same methods. Tried and true. Thanks, Charlie. Yep. So we're going to start with the basics. We have to go over classes that give you basic terms. What, what's in the Bible? We have to go over basic concepts in the Bible. We have to go over basic history of the Bible. And I'm going to, I'm going to lean on my buddy, Brett. Um, sorry if I outed your name, Brett, but I'll leave your last name out of it. He's a Protestant uh, preacher, and he's a good friend of mine. And we differ in some areas, but he is very knowledgeable in the history of the church. And I'm going to lean on him, and we might be doing some some Wednesdays or some some show specials where he comes on, like on a Teaching Tuesday, and helps me. He will guest with me for an hour or so, and we'll go over different parts of history of the church because that's got to be studied as well, not just the history of the Bible. We've got to look at the history of the church. A lot of good brothers and sisters that have come along that have helped us with this stuff. And we just, we just dismiss them. We only want to look at ourselves. We got to look at the basic precepts, teachings of the scriptures. We got to weed out old, any teaching that is of men. We got to learn to weed that out. We got to unlearn this stuff. We got to get the false understandings out of our heads. And, and we got to get to original intent of the Bible in its own terms and its cultural perspectives. And the more in depth we go, the more we're going to find that we we learn and understand more and more. Precept upon precept, just like the scripture says, coming on the board from Marianne, including the Dark Ages part of the church. Yes, we will get to some of that. Get to all of that. We're going to get to the Protestant Reformation, what caused it. We'll get all of that. We're going to be busy. And 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 for a lot of people, they're going to be like, well, this is all just you know, review. Uh-huh. I guarantee you that if you review with me, I'm going to find things that you had wrong. Okay, class, you got you got to help me out here. I'm not a sports nut, okay? But I remember there's a coach out there, and somebody can probably tell me who it was, that uh, every football season as they came into their spring training or whatever, this is the just NFL. at the beginning, in the NFL, he would come in and he would hold up a football and say, this is a football. And then he would describe the football and start from there and go to the very base. Does anybody know what coach we're talking about? I game. think it's yeah. Lombardi, but it I might, might be wrong. Lombardi. I don't remember who it was, but, but, uh, I remember the story myself. That's what we're going to be doing here is going yep. to the very basics. And even if it's a review for you, you know, these NFL players, they, they had to go back to the basics in review. Hey, my last, if you don't understand those fundamentals and, and, and put them into play, you're not going to be able to do the more complicated yep. things. My last year in the Marine Corps, I was nine time expert with the rifle and the pistol nine times in a row, nine years in a row and four years in the junior ROTC before that. So 13 years in a row of shooting expert. And they went back to gun safety 101 every year with us. Yep. Yeah. I, I sleep with that weapon. And every year, 101. So that's what we're doing here. We want to, for some of you, we're going to fix your foundations. For some of you, we're going to help you straighten it up a little bit. For others, yeah. we're going to build them for the first time. In, in what I was uh, commenting earlier, uh, you know, people were making comments as we were starting. And I said, you know, we have to, some of us at least, 
have to raise. We have to completely tear down our belief system and get down to bedrock, dig down to bedrock, and then start rebuilding our foundation brick. And everything, there are only about three books I'm going to recommend to you along the way. Just three. And every one of those three books, Charlie will attest to this, all three of them point you to scripture. Scripture, scripture, they will take you scripture surfing. We are going to be working from the instruction manual. Yes. And we're just going to be trying to recapture the original intent of the instruction manual. So that's where we're going to head. Yep. Take each brick, take it, evaluate it, look at it, make sure it's right. Then put it in there and put the mortar around it and keep going and then Sometimes you got to go back and oops, that brick wasn't quite what right. tap that so sucker back into place, pop that out and yep. put another brick in there. So. so we'll start by testing what we think we know against this instruction manual, and then we'll relearn it the best we can, our best understanding at the time with what's available to us. Then we'll test that again on its merits. And, the, and I'll show you ways to test it because the Bible tells you how to test it. And we'll yep. see whether or not it all holds up over time. And, and another thing we were talking about in the, uh, in the uh, comments earlier was, you know, how we got to be willing when we learn something new and, and we, okay, well, this is different than what my understanding or traditions were. Uh, now I have a decision to make. Yes. Am I going to move and change where I'm at? Like, the, the example in the chat was talking about, you know, Christmas and Easter. You know, am I going to stop doing that and start following the Feast of Yahweh? You know, there's people that won't do that. You know, we've got to be willing to, when we see the truth, this is where it, get, this is where it gets difficult sometimes. We've got to be willing to bend our knees and yeah. do it. For those of you who wondering why we I, I quit with Christmas. And I've got a lot of friends who tell me, well, that's a Christian holiday. I found somebody else who threw Christmas away too. How many of y'all like Charles Spurgeon? He's the most proliferate, you know, writer of Christianity in all of history. Wrote more about our faith than anybody else. He's quoted there's a there's a Facebook Charles Spurgeon face. I love his quotes. I found one this week. He says, we don't sell our, meaning him and his kind, we don't do that Christmas thing. He goes, you won't find it in the Bible. He says, nobody celebrates the birth of the Savior. They celebrate his crucifixion. And he, he says, Christianity is a pagan belief. Spurgeon. Spurgeon. Well, Spurgeon knew it. When did we forget it? Forgot it when we, when we commercialized it. We're real good with that. I'll show you. I, I found out where this comes from. And I found out where the commandment from the Catholic Church was to adopt the winter solstice. So I'll show you all of this. And you you can disagree all you want. That's fine. I'll let you. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna bash you. You're still welcome here if you disagree with me. That's fine. As long as it's not a salvific issue, we we can still eat bread, break bread together. I, I'm not one of those ones who wants to divide the body. I would not start a new co- uh, denomination. I'm non-denominational. I'm back to the way. For me, this is all about a mindset, an attitude, and a purpose. It's all intent. I want to understand the instruction manual because I acknowledge that Yahweh is the creator of this universe, and he is God. He is El Elyon, Elohim Most High. He's the only one. 
And I'm going to have to, he, he made this universe. He made the rules that I have to live by, and I will be judged by him. Franklin believed it. And it all it starts with a fear of God, fear of Yahweh. And that will lead to applying his instructions. See, I, I caught that. I had a different word down here at first. That'll lead me to apply and live according to his instructions, to walk in his path, to walk his way, as best I understand it. And I'm going to keep studying. And my, as I do, I'll grow. And as I grow, I'll apply his teachings even better. And I'll keep studying, and I'll grow, and I'll keep applying. And then the, the cycle repeats over and over again. The scriptures, when Yeshua says, Jesus, and I don't even know how much longer I'll be using the word Yeshua because I ran into something that Charlie and I got to track now. But for the sake of purposes of today, Jesus says, I am the way. I'm the path, the truth, the path to truth, and the life, because the path to truth will lead you to life. He's quoting Psalm 119. So why would he be doing that? Well, the psalm is part of the Torah, the instruction manual, the Tanakh, the instructions of Yahweh, the instructions for how to live, the walk the path, live the way. The way, the way to live in the Hebrew mindset what it means is it's a lot like the Mandalorian. This is the way. This is the way we live. This is what we do. This is how we do it. The, the, the Mandalorian gets its ideology straight from the Bible, folks. It does. And the scriptures, Jesus is telling you, I'm the way. Well, who is he? Who? Well, he's a man. He's God in flesh. I know, I know a lot of people will argue that. That's a different class. We'll get to that. But he's not exactly God in flesh. That's not what John says. John says he's a piece of the Father. He is the Father's teachings, the Father's Torah, the Word made flesh. So when he says, I am the way, he is saying Torah is the teaching to stay on the path. I am the way. The living Word is the, is the way that leads to truth. Because Yahweh's way of doing things is truth, capital T, truth. So he is the teaching that will lead you to truth, and truth will lead you to life. Now, that doesn't mean that you earn your way there, because that's not what Torah teaches. And then it says, if you abide in me, if you abide in Jesus, you'll have eternal life. What does it mean to abide in? Live in him. It means to make your abode in him, to set up your domicile. Set up where you live. You live in him. Well, then who is he? You can't live in a man. But you can live in Torah. And Jesus is Torah made flesh, according to John. In the beginning, there was the word, and the word was God. And with, with God and was God, and he became flesh. Dwelt among us. The living word, Yeshua, made flesh and blood. If you want to abide in him, you have to live in his teachings. You have to abide in them. You have to study them. They have to become everything you are. And they guide your path, your daily path. In order for this to make sense to you, you have got to accept the fact that there is a spirit world. The Unseen Realm. The most valuable single book I have ever read outside of the Bible. Because it put me back in the culture from which my Bible was written. I've run across uh, a, a devout 
believing Christian. He's addressing the Hebrew Roots Movement. One of the things the Hebrew Roots Movement says is we've got to get back to the original understanding of the, of the Torah, of the teachings. And by the way, the New Testament is part of Torah. Does it teach you how to walk according to the New Covenant? Yes, Joe. That's teachings of Yahweh, right? Of God, the Father? Well, yeah. That makes it Torah. Well, Joe, the Bible doesn't say... Yes, it does. Yes, it does. Jesus tells you all the writings are Torah. Paul tells you all the writings are good for you know, edification. What we need to do is make sure that we've got the right books that are scripture as opposed to the ones that aren't. We're going to cover that next week. Unseen realm will put you back in that. He says, well, the Hebrew roots movement says you got to get back to original intent. And he goes, but that doesn't work. And he dismisses it. He says, that's not right. You have to be able to apply the teachings of the Bible to a modern context. Well, yes, I agree. But then that particular Christian gets very progressive with it. And he said, basically, he doesn't say it, but he implies that we have to be able to read scripture in a way that fits our world as we understand. Well, the minute you do that, you've changed scripture. And scripture is very clear. You and I don't have the authority to change the word of the Father. But that's what this Christian's writing. Now, well intent. He wants to make the word applicable to today, to the world in which we live. You cannot do that without understanding the original intent of the word in the culture in which it was written and meant to be first understood. You have to understand the original intent before you can apply it in today's culture. And yet, I've got a good, well-meaning Christian addressing the Hebrew Roots movement telling me that that's all poppycock. Well, no, it isn't. And I also know that there are prophecies that tell me as we get very close to the return of the Messiah, the, the Gentiles will start returning to the Jews saying, teach us the ways of Torah. That's a prophecy. So to tell me that we're not supposed to be learning Torah toward the end of time goes against prophecy. Are you really going to sit here and tell me that, well, Joe, you misunderstood the prophet. No, I didn't. The passage that says that 10 men of the nations of the Goyim will grab hold of the hem of him who is a Jew and say, teach us your ways because we know that the living Yod is with you. That means teach us Torah. And that's actually what's in the original Hebrew, teach us the Torah. Why am I, this is a prophetic, this is an end times prophecy. Why am I wanting to learn Torah toward the end of days? This is how I know he, and there's more than one, there's more than one passage that says this. This is how I know that the Hebrew roots movement is prophetic at its core, but it lacks discipline and scholarship. So it goes back toward legalism. It doesn't stop in the middle where it should have. I'm going to try and explain all of this as best I understand it. And I'm going to use the instruction manual the whole way. That's where we're going from, from now until whenever we quit with this. And I don't know when that'll be. But it's baby steps and it's basics from this point forward. And I hope and pray that it will serve whoever decides to watch this. Charlie, you got anything else, brother? 
No, I think uh, I think you covered that. This was a good overview of where we're going, and and just giving people a little bit to think about about you know what is God, who is God, how how do we figure that out? You know, we've we've told you where we have landed, but you've got to figure this out for yourself. You've got to answer these questions that we were talking about in the first hour for yourself. You got to figure out where where you're landing and then you know if you land close to the same place we are you might want to come back next week and uh, we'll continue to solidify that so that you know because that that's one of the things as i study this and i put these things together as i find these new nuggets of truth it helps to solidify my faith and it helps me to to build that foundation that i need so that i you know, when I'm confronted with something that doesn't line up, then I need to go figure out what's, you know, why it doesn't line up and then figure out if I need to change something or if that thing was in there. Yeah, in a lot of ways, Yahweh's word is like Captain America. He says, no, I'm not going to move. You move. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yahweh tells us, you move. Yeah. So we, we just need to figure this stuff out and as know, best we can. And, and we're all figuring this stuff. And out. the scripture is very clear. If you stay with him, if you seek him, you will find him. Meaning that yes. the more you study, the more you'll understand. And he also says that you're going to learn as you grow. The scripture oh, yes. doesn't say you learn it all, all at one time. Oh yeah. And then one of the other biggest heresies I find, well, the Holy spirit told me, okay. And it, what did the Holy spirit say? And then when I hear it explained, I'm like, well, that goes against scripture. Well, that was a spirit. All right. It wasn't the Holy Spirit. Yeah. Well, where's the spirit? Where's scripture say that, Joe? It says test every spirit yes, against the scripture. Does. Yes, it does. To make sure that you are actually listening to the Holy Spirit. Right. Because the that's, Holy Spirit will never contradict scripture. Yeah, and that, that's one of the things that we, we've got to focus on. You know, that's another thing that, that happens a lot in many religions is you get into this, what I call emotionalism. That's Yeah, you know, ecstasy. Where, yeah, and... We've got to check ourselves on these things because those things, you know, feel good to us in the flesh. But ecstasy you, is astra, not Yahweh. When you start looking at it and you know evaluating it against the instruction manual, um, you're going to find out that that's not quite the way we need to be going. Now, that's not to say that the spirit can't give you joy and and yeah, but and joy. Remember what Paul's idea of but, joy: you can have joy even when you're in the middle of being persecuted. Yes. So you you, you gotta you gotta understand these things, you know. Joy is a uh, is a peace of mind. Yeah. Not an emotional feeling. And joy like, is joy is knowing that it's all going to be okay because he's already won. Right, and that that's that's what Yeshua said is, you know. My peace I is not you. what the world gives you. Mm -hmm. It's what he gives you. And when you see it from that perspective, it's a whole different kind of peace than what we think of in our Western minds, especially. Yes. We have to get, like in the martial arts, we got to get off our center here, folks. We got to quit looking at it the way we've always lived. We got to look at it the way it originally intended to be. Then we'll wrestle with how to live it in this culture. So in the Yahweh knew this was going to happen. That's why, that's why the Septuagint was preserved and most of the New Testament was preserved in Greek so that we'd have something to help us pin it back to the Hebrew and put it all together. Yeah. 
So, and, and this is also prophetic. Remember, Daniel says in the last generation, they'll run to and fro looking, you know, for knowledge, trying to gain knowledge and everything, but they'll run to and fro. What Daniel's talking about is to and fro through the book. The last generation is going, it's another way of telling us that in the last generation, we're going to be trying to get back to our original roots. And there's another prophecy that, that tells us, there's several of them that tell us that right before the Messiah comes back, people are going to be trying to regain the original teachings. This says that Ephraim is going to make Judah jealous. There's yeah. only one way to make an Orthodox Jew jealous, and you're better with Torah than they are. So there are prophecies upon prophecies that talk about this, and they're all end times prophecies, not latter days, end times, right before the Messiah returns. So, and then you have to understand, though, that Torah and the law of Moses are not exactly the same. Moses didn't introduce anything that the people didn't already know about. So are we the last generation? Ooh, Marianne, I'm very hesitant to... to, to How do I put that in a way? Okay, I'll put it to you this way, Marianne. I can make a very scriptural, scripturally compelling case that yes, we are. I can make a very compelling case that yes, we are. Am I willing to say definitively that we are? No. But oh my gosh, can I make the strongest case that we've ever seen in the church? Yes, I could make the rabbit hole a little bigger and ask what we mean when we say generation. <laughs> Prophetically, a generation is a 70-year period. Okay. So the generation that's going to see all these things happen, the end times has to start when Daniel defines it. Yeshua was just echoing that. Daniel says the end times starts... Pretty much what we have is what Yeshua is telling us when Jerusalem's no longer trodden underfoot by the Gentiles. So did that happen in 1967 or did that just happen here recently when the, um, the police force, there was a, there was an event just in the last couple of years that kicked the Muslims off the temple Mount. That's why we're starting to actually excavate there again. I don't know which one legally the Knesset has had control over the temple Mount since 67. I think that might be the one you start counting from. So that generation will see all of this happen. Prophetically, a generation is usually 70 years, but we're told that Satan will be released then from the pit for a short season to fool the nations, which fits with 67 because that's about the time that the United States publicly kicked God out of, out of the public square was in the mid-60s. So prophetic timeline, that fits short season a season's 90 90 days which is 90 prophetic years so somewhere between 70 and 90 from 67 which is why i tell you i don't know what's going to happen but i expect something major to happen i don't know if he'll return but i fully expect something really big to happen between 70 and 90 years after 67 does that make it clear as mud <laughs> Yeah, that's that's about as close as we can get because we, you know, prophecy. We, we, it's only we meant to be understood when we, when we look, look back, on, back it. on it. But going forward, and that's that's fuzziness, and yeah, we don't know. It's for meant sure. to be understood looking backward on it. I mean, it can give us hope, though. Yes. I mean, some of the prophecies yes. give us great hope, but we don't know exactly when things are going to happen. So, that's like I said, and there's. 
I could do you a whole two hours on the prophecies and the scriptural passages that support what I just said. There's a lot. And we covered some of that in our previous. uh, That's what Schofield was trying to tell us. There's a lot. We did 15 classes on it, basically. Yeah. Yeah, So. So. All right, folks, we're going to wrap here. All right. Uh, tomorrow, conspiracy theories about Islam in our government. <laughs> True conspiracy Thursday. <laughs> and then Friday, I have no idea yet, but we will see you tomorrow. We love each and every one of you. We thank you for being here. If we're doing anything that enriches your life or helps you in your world, please share the show with others. Share the link directly. Ask them to join us. Please warn them about me. Tell them it's the content of the show, not the idiot delivering the message. Also, beg them to give the show time. First of all, I got to grow on you, kind of like a bad fungus. Second of all, you got to get you got to get up the speed with how it is that one show builds on another, on another, on another, on another. I can't keep going back to the first show, two hundred eighty-five you know shows ago. We repeat things as we go along, from time to time. But for the most part, man, you got to have some of the old stuff underneath your belt to get with us. If you have, I'm starting to hear back from lots of you. We are definitely changing the way some of you think. You're looking at things differently. That's the pers- that's the whole point. You may never agree with me. That's fine. But you're learning to look at things differently. That's all I wanted. You're getting off your center. Um, if you do have questions pertaining to where we're going for the next however many Worship Wednesdays, anything about your scripture whatsoever, please email them joe at the road to concord.com no question is too stupid or too small ask them all and as you're we will tackle them. doing these things we're asking you to do if you have questions please email them or or you know bring them to class with you i mean that's what we're here for yeah and if you don't want to give your name just put your initials on or just don't even sign them but i will address them yeah let us know hey we'll do our best my name. we've had so, some people do that and, yep, and we, we do we share what we're That's not going to okay. out anybody that we're not supposed to accept Natasha. <laughs> yeah. Oops. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> Natasha. All right, guys. I'm used to it. <laughs> she is too, folks. She's, she'll give me mine later on when she sees me. We thank all of you. We'll see you tomorrow. Y'all take care and stay safe. Bye-bye. God bless. Yahweh bless.